Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. So I was on Twitter the other day, and I get plenty of DMs all the time. People asking, hey, can I be on your show? And so I have an ideal guest profile that explains exactly what I'm looking for, new approaches to the work that we do as ruckus makers. And this guy, Joe, had reached out, and I dug into his work, and it was culturally responsive. It's aligned with what I value as a human, as a leader of Better Leaders, Better Schools. And then we had our intro call. And I I described who that ideal listener is, who you are, ruckus maker. And I said, Joe, what is a story that we can start off with a bang for the podcast? He said, oh, that's easy. We could talk about how I attacked white supremacy culture. Gulp. That phrase in itself brought something out of me. It triggered me for a moment, and I had to think about why. But the point of this story is that even though I was a bit triggered, that's because of my privilege. And it was an even greater indicator that this show was the show we had to produce. It was that much more important. So thank you, Joe, for being brave and sending me that DM. Thank you for the courageous work that you're doing as a ruckus maker. And thanks for being my guest on this podcast. And thank you, Ruckus Maker, for being here. Before we jump into this episode, let's take some time to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, a program designed to develop your students' executive function and non-cognitive skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. Using artificial intelligence, the TeachFX app enables instructional leaders to coach more teachers more often and more effectively. Learn how and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Have you ever wondered what kind of leader makes a good mastermind member? Well, recently I asked the leaders I serve, and here's what they said about their peers. Eileen, a deputy head in Qingzhou, China, said, Mastermind members are supportive, wise, and not afraid to kick your butt. Chris, a vice principal in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada, Courageous risk-takers and learners are how I describe my mastermind peers. And finally, Melody, a principal in Kentucky, said, Mastermind members are generous, driven, and never satisfied with the status quo. If that sounds like you or peers that you'd like to surround yourself with, apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Hey, Ruckus Maker, we're joined by Dr. Kelly Crane today to offer a practical tip to help you level up your leadership today. So Kelly, what tip do you have for us? Danny, today we're going to talk about being vulnerable. It is so important to 
let those you lead know that you are human and that you really want to make sure that they understand how passionate you are about whatever project you are dealing with. You know, vulnerability leads to authenticity and trust. And so when you have trust, there is nothing you can't accomplish. And that is so important. And I just think it is such a great characteristic of a really good leader. Here's a practical question you might ask too. And a shout out goes to Fred, who's in the Guiding Principles cohort I lead on Wednesdays. But he shared something that teachers do with students, which is quite simple. And it's, um, here's what I wish my teacher knew about me. Very simple, deceivingly simple question. But what kids decide to put on or how they answer that prompt is incredibly powerful and then helps you serve those kiddos at a higher level. Well, as a building leader, ask your teachers the same thing. And so we ask members uh, in the Go community, and we're going to do this live in the mastermind, what's something you wish a fellow ruckus maker knew about you? And I'll go first. I shared in Go that, you know, Miriam and I want to have a kid and I've wanted to be a dad forever. Um, and this is early in the process, so I know it takes some time, but who knows? Maybe we'll be successful. Maybe we won't be able to naturally uh, have a baby and conceive. I'm not sure, but I'm scared by that. And so that's what I want my peers to know and you, Ruckus Maker, listening to know. But we had a couple other leaders share some powerful things as well. And I won't tell you who these people are, but here's what they said. Uh, one leader said, I'm so afraid of failing. Sometimes I work extra hard just to buffer against any possible failures. I don't want to be seen as a failure. And so I've made my career almost fail proof at the expense of those I love. Wow. I'm taking steps to be better at it, but I can still do a lot better. And then somebody else said, I feel like I live on the surface level. I'm afraid to be completely transparent because I want to protect my heart from some of the hurts I've lived through. I think I'm a nice person, but often wonder why people say I'm a good friend because I don't know that I'm too deeply connected with others. That's powerful, right? And to be able to open up and share that kind of stuff, you first have to ask those vulnerable questions and then you have to model it yourself as a leader. So Kelly, thank you for sharing that tip of the week. And Ruckus Maker, we look forward to you using it in your leadership practice. Kelly, any last thoughts before we move on to the rest of the show? I just love when you're in a conference or when you're in an in-service and the principal or the leader just really is salt of the earth and says things that really that you can identify with or that they're not perfect and that you can really uh, sense their passion. So I just love that portion of leadership. And I think that being vulnerable is just an excellent characteristic. Thanks, Kelly. And Ruckus Maker, if you didn't know by now, Kelly's launched our fifth cohort of the Mastermind. And essentially, this this is all I can say. It is hands down the best professional development available to leaders in the world for school leaders, right? So apply betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. We'll reach out to set up a conversation and see if the mastermind's the best next step for your professional growth. Enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, Ruckus Makers. I'm here today with Joe Truss, a fourth year principal of Visitation Valley Middle School in San Francisco. He is working to bring PBL to the hood and empower students to rise above the odds. In addition, Joe Truss is a leadership coach 
helping educators to engineer for equity. He focuses on long-term planning, racial equity, and the transformation of adult culture. Welcome to the show, Joe. What's up, Danny? It's nice to connect with you again. And, uh, you know, just nice to share some space and connect with leaders. There's definitely power in the connection. So I love it. There's power in the connection. There's power in the message you're about to share. Now, Joe, you are a ruckus maker for sure. Definitely. You found freedom (laughs) from the status quo and you absolutely make change happen. In our intro call, we talked about how you chewed on this question, which was, how soon can you let crazy out as a leader? Mm. I loved how you brought that up. (laughs) And recently, you took on the topic of race, equity, and white supremacy culture. Take us to the moment. Tell us the story that was the catalyst where you knew you had to do something. Man, you know, um, so I think there's there's two moments. I'll, I'll, I'll say when I knew that we needed to go deeper, and then I'll tell you the moment maybe the moment of when, you know, the, some of the crazy came out. So, you know, this is my fourth year working in a school and we've tried to get on this topic of equity and diversity and inclusion lots of times, um, lots of passes, lots of readings. And, you know, many times it fell flat. Many times it stayed on the surface. Many times uh, it may have even been shut down. People may have complained about it. It put, you know, for all intents and purposes, it ended, right? And the work did not continue. And one of the big moments at the beginning of uh, this previous school year was we came back, all the staff, we were were supposed to establish norms, right? And I want to go past our normal, respectful norms, uh, end on time to go something deeper. And there's a lot of conversation around safe norms and brave norms and being brave to take up racial equity work and being brave to address our inequities and not being not thinking about safety to avoid that. So we tried to do this in our big staff meeting, set up this whole reading discussion conversation. We're standing in a big circle, whole staff, uh, the end of the summer before the kids come back. And this was supposed to be the, the culmination of like, okay, now we got them. Now we are, we got our norms. Now we put a flag at a stand and it fell flat. The right comments didn't come out. People were not brave enough to say what they really wanted. Race was not named right? The inequities were really not called out. And we didn't really have anything clear that we were moving forward. Um, And I felt really defeated in that moment, um, just because like, that's my job. That's what I'm trying to push. I know that doing that right mindset work will lead to changes in the classroom for the kids, but it fell flat. This was uh, August, right? And I kind of like just marinated for a while and I thought for a while, and I knew I needed to come back to norms, but I realized that we needed to go harder than that. We needed to go deeper than brave norms that was still on the surface that was still soft you know it was still comforting you know and i came across this reading about white supremacy culture and how it influences organizations and systems and i was like this is it we got to go here because i didn't think there'd be any running away from talking about white supremacy culture and i didn't think there would be any misunderstanding about what that means and what that means for kids so seeing that it fell flat i knew that it was time to try something different. We try a whole bunch of stuff and, you know, this ended up being one of the ones that uh, broke broke through. I want to make sure I'm tracking with you. So correct me when I'm, where I'm wrong. What I heard was you knew you had to address the norms. You had to go deeper. Uh, you attempted, right? And this was maybe August. The attempt fell flat. Right. People weren't brave in that space. They didn't address race at all. And you you, you felt disappointed, a little defeated. Right. As a leader. Somewhere 
you know, I'd love to hear this too. It sounds like you dug deep because you didn't let that stop you. Yeah. So I, I think you have a message there for the ruckus maker listening. Like, how do you get back after yeah. you feel defeated? Mm-hmm. And you took another swing at it. And what, what I heard was that you, you found some article that addressed white supremacy culture and that worked. That was a good mm-hmm. jumping off point to engage in this conversation. Did I get that right? That's right. Um, so, I mean, so the idea of like, why didn't I give up? One, because like I can't, right? We can't give up, mm-hmm. right? I mean, our, the numbers and the outcomes and the statistics are egregious, right? They're a crime, right? Uh, people talk about education as being the civil rights issue of our time, right? So in, in that regards, I can't, right? Um, as long as we're sending kids not prepared the next level, as long as we have disparities uh, with respect to race, gender, and class, can't give up. So then the question is, so what do I do, right? So I had to go back to the drawing board. I had to kind of go back deeper into my files, right? And I had to talk to my mentors, to my colleagues and see like, well, what else can I pull from, right? And the first question you asked was about the crazy. And I was like, well, how deeper, how deeper can I go into my crazy bag, <laughs> right? What's in there, right? And I was like, okay, well, you know, well, we went here and that wasn't it. Let's go deeper, you know? And uh, someone has, you know, told me about this particular framework about white supremacy culture in organizations. It was uh, written originally by a, a woman named Tima Okun, um, and it breaks down 13 characteristics of uh, ways that white supremacy culture shows up in organizations, such as the quest for perfection, uh, the obsession with power hoarding, the, the idea that you can be objective in what you're doing, um, wanting quantity over quality. So there's a bunch of these with this. Um, and um, I saw this particular framework. I used it in a couple other spaces. So I actually got to experience it as a learner, as a leader, and I got to see it used in a space that was not my school, right? And I got to see how it played out. And then I got to think, well, you know, how do I, how can I apply this back to my school? And then I kind of actually scaled it up. Um, I started with just reading it on my own. Then I read it with my two assistant principals and we kind of worked through it and talked about how it affects us and personally and all that kind of stuff. Then I brought it to my leadership team of teachers, right? A group of about 12 people or so. We worked through it as well. And then we talked about how could we bring this to the whole staff? Then we brought it to the whole staff. So, I mean, there definitely was a whole process, probably, you know, seven or eight revisions of this particular staff meeting. You know, I carved out two hours to do this and, you know, I tried to, tried to make it happen. Um, And and it was a pretty, pretty interesting meeting. We'll we'll find a link to that article and put it in the show notes uh, for the ruckus makers listening. Uh, Did I hear you that you saw somebody use the framework? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not necessarily... Well, we, I was in a space that was a, a coalition of school leaders, and we were looking yep. at this framework as it applies to schools in general. So I got to experience a little bit as a learner before I went to apply it. Gotcha. And I love the gradual release. The two APs, the leadership team, and, and the circle gets wider and wider. And right. you keep asking that curious question, well, what does it look like to bring this to the entire staff? How long did that process take between you reading it the first time with the APs and then by the time it's the whole staff? But between the first time I read it and when the staff finally saw it, maybe six months. And my AP saw it pretty early. My leadership team saw it around about a month, maybe a month to five weeks before my whole staff saw it. So we got to troubleshoot it. We got to work through some kinks. Uh, we got to edit it a little bit. And I got their feedback of like, so how are we going to do this? Um, then I got a little bit of their support too, because if we're going to be taking something you know, that is going to cause some ruckus right, and ruffle some feathers... Right. I need yes. to have I need to have some uh, some early adopters. Right. I need to have some folks who are 
who are, you know, a part of the tribe already, who are of the same mindset and going to help push as well. Cause that's got to be lateral movement too. It can't just be pushing from the top. Tribe mentality. People like us do things like this. We fight for equity because it's so important. Right. I love that. And then finding people that are the early adopters. Man, this is this is so good. The six months, was that a predetermined decision or was there mm. look fors that you said, okay, the staff's ready? Was it some type of feel? I'm just curious. And because I know if it was shorter than six months, it probably wouldn't have worked out as well as it did. Yeah. I wonder if it was longer, how that might have changed the approach. But I, I'm let's talk just about six months. I know I'm dropping a lot of questions there. That's so how, how did you determine that? Yeah, so I mean, it definitely was feel. This was definitely more of an adaptive thing. You know, what I've realized yeah. about leading racial equity work and leading uh, racial equity change is as much as we want it to be technical, like you want this manual that you pick up, this one book, this one <laughs> workshop you go to, right? It doesn't work like that. It's not, not at all, right? So this is definitely, okay, where, where does it feel like we're at, right? And when I first saw this article, I was like, oh man, this is not going to fly, right? Like I, I knew I could get down with that text. Why? Why did could, you say that? Just because, I mean, uh, folks are scared to talk about race. Folks are scared <laughs> to talk about race. Folks are definitely scared or usually scared or, dis- or, or, or not comfortable talking about white supremacy culture. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, we're not talking about, that's not even talking about racism, right? I mean, yeah. we're going much, much deeper. Um, and, you know, around the same time, Robert D'Angelo's book on white fragility comes out and like that answers the question of what's really, what's one of the things that's limiting us from doing this work? It is white fragility with respect to race, right? Male mm-hmm. fragility with respect to gender, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that that's a part of it definitely helps. So originally, I didn't think it was going to, I didn't know when it was going to be time for this text. I just knew that it was interesting for me. Then we had this, this meeting on the norms and it fell flat and I was like, okay, I need something else. And I still was kind of scared of what to do. I thought I was just going to come back and do another pass at norms. But instead, I was like, nah, we need a different framework and we need a different end to for this. During this time, we launched some uh, uh, racial affinity uh, groups at our school, per- person of color, teacher group, uh, white teacher group. And those kind of ran their course on their own. One of the groups reading White Fragility. And there were other informal stuff happening. So like this was kind of the confluence of a lot of that stuff coming together where you know now it's time to say, okay, well, it also helps to define what do we not want to do too. Because right? sometimes folks don't necessarily know what are we working against. You kind of got to identify who the enemy is, right? And what the enemy is. And, and in this case, it's a mentality that's been programmed into how we, how we do things, right? How we conduct business, what etiquette is, right? What efficiency is. And a lot of that stuff has a detrimental effect on our humanity, right? Um, and definitely people of color and poor folks at large. Um, so we kind of just had to illuminate that. And there's different aspects uh, to the framework. You you rattled off a few earlier. I remember from the intro chat, I really caught on to this idea of the illusion of objectivity. And I wanted mm-hmm. to follow up and, and ask, what do you what do you mean by that? You know, so I think this idea that, well, we treat all kids fairly, right? Or we're grading objectively, right? That that one overlaps so much with grade. Well, I give you a grade, you earn the grade, and that's just kind of what it is, right? You get one pass at it. There's one way to take the test. There's one way to show what you know. It's objective, right? But we know that that's super subjective when we talk about the bias that's built into uh, the questions we ask, the content we cover, uh, the standards that are written a lot of times by folks with their own bias and what's included and what's not included. So this idea that like, oh, I'm in this subjective and this biased system, but I'm objective in this and I'm a 
I'm a neutral participant in all this, right? And and a lot of times that affects folks at the bottom poorly, right? Because they're they don't experience that as objective. It's very subjective about who's right and who's wrong, who has power, who doesn't. Um, and you know, that's not empowering to, to kids. And when you bring up grades, uh, not only maybe the illusion of objectivity, but does that, that I would think that that gets into the power hoarding as well, at least from my yeah, experience. Yeah. Oh, God, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, school is an exercise of power hoarding, right? And power dynamics, mm-hmm. right? Both, uh, biggest one is just teacher to student, right? Like who has the last word, who gets to contribute, who leads the lesson, who drives the learning, right? And then, you know, you apply that to teachers and leaders, right? And, there's a lot of power hoarding that leaders have to do as well, right? So some of my learning through this process is like, I need to own the fact that even as a black man in, in, in the US, white supremacy culture still is infused in my organization and I can still be a perpetuator of white supremacy culture, right? So I need to break down how much power I'm hoarding and how I'm including my teachers in decision-making, hopefully so that teachers are including kids in the process of learning and the process of education. Joe, when you started this work, how were you surprised by maybe how the staff reacted or something was triggered in yourself? Uh, did anything get unearthed that was surprising to you? Yeah, you know, I, I was surprised originally by how quickly folks wanted to depersonalize the conversation, right? So, you know, we're, lo- we're looking at something like white supremacy culture or racism in schools. And quickly, folks wanted to go to the system, right? The outside system, right? The other people, right? The central office, the downtown, right? The standards, right? The government, right? Right. As opposed to me, right? So I realized there needed to be a lot of scaffolding just around going internal and doing this personal work of how does this show, how has this affected me as an individual in the society? How does this show up in my interpersonal relationships with my, even my loved ones, right? Um, how does this show up adult to adult? Then I can think about, well, then how does that show up with the kids, right? So I was surprised with how difficult that was because for me, it was like straight, I'm reading this. Okay, great. Let's go straight to like, what are we doing with the kids? But I realized that it needed to be a, a process, right? Of, uh, of uh, scaffolding to think about for first personal. A lot of mirror moments. Yeah, most definitely. Gut checks. How were you inspired? So you you know you were surprised by some of the things that were unearthed, and how have you been inspired by engaging into this work? Um, I think what ins- what what's inspired me, you know, originally is just my own experience, right? So I, I'm a person of color in the United States, right, and I know the history of that, and I also know the statistics of that. So for me, that inspires me to start the work and to keep doing the work. When we started some of this process with the teachers, when I started reading some people's feedback, that was also inspiring because now I started seeing people start to express curiosity now of like, okay, this is interesting. I'm not, I'm not happy about this, but okay, what comes next, right? What do I do now? What do we do instead of this? And for me, that's inspiring as a leader because when we know that people are curious about wanting to do something different, then we, that's it, right? We're going to do something different. People can drive their own learning once they want to, right? But a lot of times we're fighting the process of, I don't really want to do that. That's a new idea. I don't really want to do that. I don't really believe in that. Well, what's your data? Why should I really do that? As opposed to, I'm in. Cool. What, what do we do now? How do I show up differently? Do I talk? Do I not talk? How do, I, how do we break the patterns of participation? What do I do now? Right? When people are asking these questions, 
that's awesome, right? I mean, you're, you're going to be in a lifelong journey if, 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 if you're asking the right questions. As you've had these courageous conversations and have asked the, the right questions, how has the student body reacted or, or changed? What it, how has their experience been different? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we definitely made a very clear decision that we did not want to roll this out to the kids yet, right? So I think sometimes with some things you can kind of do like a one, a one once over and we're ready to roll it out with the kids. With this, um, our leadership team actually decided that we this wasn't going to be a one and done professional development. They actually decided that we're, we need to spend our next three meetings just on this. We're not done. Um, and they four they foregoed all of the stuff that was planned already just to have more time on this. And the teachers wanted to lead it to keep it going because they wanted to go deeper and they wanted to go slower, which was kind of great because like their, their thing was like, how are we going to be urgent about this, right? Sense of urgency, we need to slow down and we need to trust the process and go deeper. So they pushed that and they said like, yeah, we're not going for the kids yet. We need to get our stuff right first as adults. Now, that being said, sometime around the same time, we started tackling some patriarchy in one of our grades with kids. So staff kind of empowered themselves to come together to decide that they were not okay with the language that some of the students were using. They were not okay with uh, the way that our female students were feeling, and they wanted to do a whole bunch of education around that. Now, the overlap I see that is just around oppression and power dynamics, right? It's not necessarily about race, but seeing that they decided that they wanted to address that with the kids, and they actually saw movement with kids having more respectful relationships between each other and understanding patriarchy and sexism a little bit more. That's awesome, right? I mean, we want our, our young people to be prepared to make it better. Yeah. So it's a very positive. Uh, I'm sure you would have planned for something like that, but it was an unintended consequence right. that maybe got right. rattled right. up by engaging in this conversation. All right. This release is September 25th, 2019. Mm. Fast forward with me to September 25th, 2021. And it's been a few years since you started this conversation. Mm. If we walk through your school, you and me down the halls, how would we know that it's been a success? Oh, man. I mean, I think, you know, you bring up the student question, right? It's in, it's living with the students, right? I mean, we just this week have been working on revising our mission as a school and trying to figure out how are we infusing anti-racism and antidotes of white supremacy culture into the mission, right? So that it is coming to fruition, right? I mean, it should not, not just with the adults, but it should be happening with the kids, right? So the kids in, in this case should have a stronger sense of self of who they are. They should know a little bit more about their history. They should uh, be learning at a deeper level, right? I mean, a lot of these tenets of white supremacy culture are these breath over depth, right? So kids don't really know anything. They just go through content and take a test, take a quiz, take a test, take a quiz, and they don't really know that much, right? So you would see hopefully kids engaged in stuff that they care about, stuff that's interesting, stuff that's coming from their interests, but then also at a deep level of actually solving some social issues, right? With the kids, right? With the adults, deeper connection, right? Some more some more authentic relationship between adults, people being comfortable talking about things that are, are, are not comfortable, right? In service of doing the right things for kids, right? So, you know, some st- strong adult culture and also strong students culture, right? So now students are being closer, right? They're not just collaborating for collaborating's sake. They're collaborating to actually work with each other and and take and and benefit from each other as opposed to compete against each other, right? So we're really just unlearning all of these things that are, have been hardwired into how we're supposed to be, right? And in and, and school, right? It's kind of just the opposite, right? You just kind of really just do the opposite of what we've been trained to do. Well, it's a fascinating uh, conversation, and we'll continue it 
In just a moment, let's pause here for a message from our sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder is an evidence-based RTI Tier 1 universal level solution and focuses on improving executive functioning and non-cognitive skills. You can learn more and improve your student success at OrganizedBinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Maker. Imagine if every teacher in your school had a personal instructional coach. Well, today's show is sponsored by TeachFX, and that's exactly what they do. But don't take it from me. Listen to what some of the teachers who use TeachFX say. I would encourage everybody to to give it a shot just because, because, again, it gives you that objective feedback that you may not have been aware of when you're sitting there in class. It's a great diagnostic tool just to kind of check in and go, okay, here's the reality of how much I'm speaking or if I'm speaking in chunks or having conversations. Yeah, you know, I, I am, I'm more mindful of letting them, like not being so teacher directed, which is kind of, that was my goal. You know, like teachers have professional goals. And so that was one of my professional goals for being observed this year is less teacher direction, a lot more responsibility on the kids doing the work and the discussion and the figuring out. Learn all about TeachFX and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back with Joe Trust, the chief ruckus maker at Visitation Valley Middle School. And we're talking white supremacy culture, a very important topic. And uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Joe. Thank you for for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Closing up the, the podcast, what's one resource that's really helped you level up, Joe, in the last three months? And how did it impact you? Um, you know, I would say... If I were to pick one, you know, I think reading this white fragility book was pretty big for me. You know, I originally avoided it just because I felt like I was familiar with a lot of the concepts, especially being a person of color. However, reading it and seeing it articulated in a different kind of way and seeing it articulated from a white person, given that the vast majority of teachers are white folks anyway, right? Being able to see a lot of those frameworks and a lot of examples she used really helped me because then it allowed me to figure out how do I address some of those things in my practice at my school. And it ended up being a framework, like almost like a prerequisite for talking about white supremacy culture with my staff. And now it's popped up in all these other places. And now I see people referencing it informally in meetings. Um, Someone ran up to me and was like, hey, yeah, Joe, I'm reading it. And they weren't even a part of the PLC at all. So like, it's definitely making a difference. Spreading. That's great. What message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Mm, I would say decolonize your mind. I love it. Decolonize your mind. Joe, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities? Mm, man, um, given that I've spent my most recent time working in middle schools, I would say it's got to be outdoors. It's got to be as much outdoors happening as possible. You know, outdoor ed, working in the garden, building stuff. Kids got to be hands on doing stuff, moving, moving and shaking. Um, on on that would be one. The second one would be the learning has to be solving some real issue, right? And not this isn't just like building a robot so that they can go clean the floor. This is this is kids developing apps that solve a, a social in, injustice, right? So I would love to see a school partnered with social activist organizations. So that way, teachers are partnered with 
someone working in human rights that way history teachers is, is addressing some human rights issue when kids are building a project and learning something around that that'd be huge right for the teachers they just need time you know they need let them work half the day that'd be dope right if you could work half the day and plan and prep the other half of the day i bet there'd be some good stuff happening for kids Joe, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Mm, that uh, you got to push through the resistance and you got to work through the messy part um, as possible, but you just can't give up on can't give up on the hard parts. A lot of this work, there's no manual to it and there's no step-by-step process. It's complex and it's... Uh, is great, you know, but, uh, you know, you are the one that has the fuel to push people through that and to figure it out. And, you know, people will follow your lead and, and follow your, your passion, right? You just got to keep pushing. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.